Welcome to Storytellers of Color, our monthly show that airs every second Monday as part of a public affair on KGNU. The show's main goal is to provide a safe space for communicators of color through conversations to elevate their voices and discuss equity in media and in general in life. I am your host, Rosanna Longobetter, and our guest today is Monica King, a somatic psychotherapist specialized, specializing in trauma and resiliency. She has been initiated in several indigenous traditions of healing from Mexico to Africa, blending both Western mental health perspectives and ancient healing modalities. Welcome, Monica, to KGNU Studios this beautiful spring morning. Buenos dias. Good morning. Buenos dias. Good, good morning. It's so nice to have you today. You are known as a medicine woman, a curandera in the community. Tell us uh, your story. Hmm, where to begin? I am from New Mexico. I'm from Santa Fe, and we have a deep tradition of curanderismo in New Mexico, which is even on historic road signs in New Mexico because it's been happening there for many generations. And uh, yeah, and my grandmother was not necessarily known as a curandera, but she prayed with candles a lot. And uh She was one of these children that was taken into um, a school, a Catholic school, and they cut her hair and took her traditions away from her. So my generation is bringing back a lot of our traditions. That's super important for you to share this morning because it seems like hair is sacred yeah. for indigenous communities. Yeah. It's an extension of their souls. Exactly. Yeah. So we have a history of this happening all over the Southwest and Colorado of children from um, that spoke Spanish, that spoke other languages, that this happened to them. They were put into schools and they lost their traditions and their cultures. And, and now we have concrete and <laughs> a lot of buildings everywhere. So from what I understand, it's only the grandmother of the child who is allowed to cut their hair. Well, it depends on... Um, which tribe or which community you're speaking to, but uh, especially, well, boys and girls, their hair is an extension of their electromagnetic field, so they don't typically get their hair cut at all, um, unless it's somebody in the family or themselves. Traditions that need to be respected. As we are in this month of April, spring is alive, Is everything is coming to life, I should say. I am so touched by the natural world that is showing us coming up. What comes up to you when the spring flowers are just popping up? Mm, well, what comes to me is a natural desire to go out and wish to uh, sow seeds and, and sing songs and do prayers by the rivers and in the mountains. One of my teachers, who is an African medicine man, a Zulu medicine man, Mandaza, Kandemwa, he um, encouraged us to go to the nearest river and to the peak of the nearest mountain to go leave our prayers and offerings at sunrise around this time of year. So it's not just indigenous people that need to do these things. It's everybody because at this point, 
moment in time, you know, the diaspora is complete and all cultures have intermixed from all continents. And now is a time where we reach back into four or seven generations back into all of our lineages to remember what they did back in the day, whether people were from Romania or Italy or India. There were traditions that everybody had where they would go and pray to the moon and sing to the stars. And and those are the things that we need to remember again right now to wake back up. Monica King this morning in Storytellers of Color. And we continue this interview today. And I was just videotaping and you requested for me not to videotape. So I want to be respectful of your traditions and the reasons why you are not uh, wanting to be videotaped this morning. Because from what I remember as an Ecuadorian living now in the States, taking pictures of people, taking video of people, Native people don't like that. In a way, they are also always talking about when you take pictures, they are taking away your soul. So I want to make sure, respect what you are asking me this morning. And I want to go back to to the ceremonies, to the healing ceremonies that you have been doing. I want you to describe them to our listeners. Why these group ceremonies that you have been doing are so healing and are an artistic expression of your soul? Mm. Well, the majority of ceremonies that I've been doing were in Mexico, um, living in Tulum in the Yucatan Peninsula before coming here. And since moving here, there have been less. <laughs> there have been less safe spaces for me to provide ceremony. And I've been, um, the community of Naropa has been very welcoming to me. So I've offered ceremonies through them. Um, both inside the buildings and outside of the buildings. And they're really about collectivism, about coming together and not being stuck in this individualist, competitive, capitalist world. And it really has nothing to do with, um, you know, the type of car you drive or what, how big your house is. It's about coming together and holding hands, not being afraid to hold hands again and share breath again in the same space and feel the sense of familia, the sense of connection, the sense of community. And so my ceremonies are very organic, actually. I, I pray before I show up and I receive guidance from my, my guides about how to conduct that in that particular space. So, for instance, at Naropa, I receive guidance from Trungpa and Allen Ginsberg about what the community needs. And we howl like wolves <laughs> um, because that was something that people did during COVID. They howled at the moon when the sun went down. And so we did that together. And we held COVID out and called back in vitality. So profound. Yeah. So beautiful. And howling at the moon outside, just feeling connected. We had so much fear at that mm -hmm. time. And the same fear came back to us when we had the mass shooting. And I know that Naropa offered group sessions and a lot of people attended them. Some of them virtual, some of them in person, but it was so important for the community to, like you're saying, do ceremony, group healing. It was so urgent. Well, and it's not over because what happens with trauma is that people go into their coping mechanisms and they take care of their families and they do what they have to do in the moment to get through each day. 
And then there are shockwaves that happen afterwards, weeks or months or even a year afterwards, because the body remembers and the body has an interesting way of remembering the calendar. So even though maybe you weren't directly impacted by the mass shooting, there are shockwaves that go through the community. And you remember days like that where the streets become silent and you can feel the whole community mourning together. And then weeks, months after, people start to feel the emotions rising to the surface and not everybody is taught how to work with those emotions. So um, the work is not done. We're all still working together to, to feel safe, really. Can you describe the somatic psychotherapist experience? How is it different? Mm. Well, uh, the word somatic refers to the body. Soma is the body. So with that, we, we understand that it's not just talking. It's not just a cognitive process of talking about the thoughts that go through our mind. It's about dropping into the body and noticing where do I, do I feel safe in my body? Where in the city do I feel safe? What happens in my body? Where does it constrict or expand when I go from one place to another or where, when I'm in proximity with different types of people? Because one of the other thing we're recognizing is that we, there is a collective unconsciousness that we're living in and there are women that are having rage still about Roe versus Wade. There are people that are having fears about being in a brown body or being in a black body. And, and wherever they walk, they might feel in power or they might feel disempowered. So it's about noticing what happens in the body in a very subtle way. Do the lungs constrict? Do the shoulders go up towards the ears? Does the head drop down? And talking to the body and having that um, feedback loop of communicating and coming back to a place of... Um, embodiment and power to walk wherever and noticing where it doesn't feel okay and that's okay too and maybe you need an ally we all need allies that's for sure and uh, as earth day is coming we know that the earth is waking up and we will be celebrating all together earth day how can we honor what mother earth La Madre Tierra offers naturally as healing practices without falling into appropriation. Mm. This is such a big question now, especially as the psychedelic movement is growing and a lot of people are becoming overnight shamans in this <laughs> in Boulder and Denver. Um, my, my recommendation to people as a mestiza medicine woman is that people go back to their own heritage and they look at the seeds and look at the offerings that your own people offered to the earth and in ceremony. So look at the spices in your kitchen and find out what resonates with your personal ancestry and don't take from the ancestry of other people unless you've been trained by those people and given permission by them. Um, and I think what's most important at a time like this is to remember that there is a reciprocity between ourselves and the earth. So people have this fear that the planet is dying and all this nonsense. The planet is not dying. The planet will recycle everything. It recycles our emotions. It recycles the water. It recycles aluminum. Whatever we throw at it, she'll figure it out. What the planet wants is for us to show us how much we love her. We need to walk into the mountain and 
communicate to the deer, communicate to the butterflies, communicate to the birds, literally put your frequency of your heart on your hike or on your walk beside the stream and communicate to the trees. Tell them how much you love them. I'm not saying everybody has to become a tree hugger, but <laughs> recognize that it's more than just getting your exercise and going for a hike. It's about taking a moment of silence and connecting with your own spirit and then connecting with the spirit of the place because the spirit of this place is un poco, it's a little bit broken. There's, there's a lot of grief that still hasn't been fully processed in this city with all of the shootings and the fire and all those kind of things. And, and people aren't talking about it enough. And one of the ways to heal that is to come together either individually or collectively and go out into nature and think this place for what it is and, and uh, communicate with the mountains. Monica King this morning in Storytellers of Color talking about the importance of healing, the importance of connection to the earth and to the spirit and also the reality of what we are living here in Boulder as we look at the mountains and we look um, at the changes of the season. We also remember things that have, that have happened through the seasons and we also remember that you know, this land was occupied by indigenous communities. And it's still, indigenous people are still here, not as many, but there is this sense of sadness always. When I look at the mountains, I also have this feeling of mourning and hoping for something better. You have been also, Monica, working a lot with young people. You're passionate about working with members of the BIPOC community, but also serving teens and adults, dealing with issues of identity, diversity, family systems, and also intergenerational trauma, because that's something that spoke to me when I was reading about you yesterday. Mm, yeah, the topic of intergenerational trauma is very complex to unpack in a short amount of time. But what we know in um, psychology is that there are stories that live in our body and that live in our unconscious and even stories that we're told as children about um, who we are or how we exist. And people that live in a BIPOC body typically have stories of marginalization that are in them. And it those things are enacted on a daily basis by taking up less space in the community. And so when I work with BIPOC people in the community, really the work is to teach them how to take up more space, how to be unafraid to go to places where they normally wouldn't go. And what do they need to go to those places? Because um, again, they might need an ally. They might need to do some work to feel their sense of embodiment or empowerment because they may not have been given that by their familia by their parents the way a person of a white privileged background would be given. Often people with privilege are taught that the world is their oyster and they don't graduate with loans. <laughs> and people from BIPOC communities tend to not have as much in the bank and not have as much in their own consciousness that they feel that they could take up space and that the world is their oyster. 
Instead, they're looking for ways to crawl through the cracks and um, make their way in the world. Yeah, in a way, almost like uh, hide or not make so much noise because if they make too much noise, you know, they can be in danger. Exactly. It's not disguising, but it's almost like uh, transforming, you know, like code switching. Yeah. Like, so that way you are like acceptable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Code switching is a really important topic in speaking with BIPOC people because um, it is something that we do unconsciously in order to feel safe in different locations. And um, yeah, it's a it's a much longer conversation. <laughs> of course. And that's that's the beauty of radio that we, we have. We have we have to be succinct. We have to come up with you know a phrase or two to kind of um, bring a topic to light. Um, yeah, it's so powerful the things that you have been saying. But I also want to go back into the reality of identity for our youth. As you were walking into the studio today, you saw our interns, our students, and you were just uh, connecting with them. So I see that you connect with your students in a deep way. Um, what are you seeing in our diverse youth as urgent to address? Hmm. The one thing that I see more than anything else is suffering around identity. Every, uh, you know, the Naropa community, and I think the community at large, everybody's been watching the news and the feeds on social media, and people are very aware of collective suffering, of suffering around identity and suffering from Black Lives Matter and and things that have been happening out in the world, and, and there's a deep desire to want to fix it and to also fix the connection with Madre Tierra, with the earth. So we understand now that there is trauma that's passed down from our caregivers, from our matrilineal and patrilineal lines, but there's also a wound that's now being studied in psychology with our connection to the Mother Earth. And that is a new area of exploration that I'm very curious about because um, no one person has all the answers. And it's, it is a line of communication that we all need to be working on together to discover how do we heal these wounds together? How do we laugh, sing, cry together and express ourselves in a way that feels like there's um, reclamation of things that were taken from all of us? Because the truth is, there is no one person that doesn't feel colonized. And, And I'm not just talking about BIPOC people white people, brown people, copper people, (laughs) black people, everybody has been somewhat colonized by the fact that um, the teepees and the buffalo were taken down and everything was painted with concrete and structures and nobody can afford it. So we're all suffering together and we can't just go and (laughs) blow up the buildings and plant a bunch of trees we're all trying to figure out how to decolonize ourselves and how to um, work with the patriarchy that exists to unpack things and unwind things and cut the cords that don't deserve to be any longer and figure out how to live a more free way of life with the constraints that we have. And so many, eh? so many constraints. 
how do you make sense of the gun violence among our youth and what they are having to deal with at this moment in time? You know, our kids are feel, they are feeling afraid of going to school, a place where they should be feeling safe. Well, my honest answer is that people aren't spending enough time with each other. Many families, and I say this from personal experience and working with clients and talking to people in the community, many people are disassociating in a socially acceptable way by watching TV and, and putting their heads on social media 24-7. They're not just sitting in the room together, sharing a meal, inviting over the neighbors. It was less than one generation ago that people would share meals with their neighbors on a very regular basis and just sit and have cafecito on the patio. And now everybody's looking on social media and their on their televisions, and we know that it's affecting their subconscious and their conscious mind. They're, people are losing social skills, literally losing social skills. That is the number one issue in our entire society right now. People are losing the capacity to just sit in the room with another person and connect eye to eye and have a heartfelt conversation. And what happens when you do that is that emotions rise to the surface because the people that aren't going to therapy are still holding some kind of fear about another shooting happening or um, anger about algo. Roe versus Wade, I already said, one of the things women are angry about. And we cannot be afraid to sit and have dinner and, and get angry or sit and have dinner and cry. Let it happen. That's what we need. Cry with your neighbor. Por favor. Por favor. <laughs> it's a lot less expensive <laughs> than going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that that's for sure. Therapy is not an easy thing to pay here, especially because the good therapists, they don't take insurance. And if they do take insurance, it's a whole tramite, you know, you need to fill so much paperwork and all that. Monica, we can talk forever. I know this. Um, you and me, we can continue talking. I just want to really thank you so much, Monica King, for joining us for our Storytellers of Color this morning. And I would like for you to give us a last blessing, a last, uh, you know, I know that you are planning on leaving Boulder. You have been here for eight years, giving from yourself, and you are planning to fly away. And uh, I would like for you to kind of give us that, that blessing, that guidance, so that we can keep on facing and trying to, in a way, come together as community. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving back to Mexico because it's more comfortable in Mexico than it is in Boulder as a brown woman. And I, I, get, I don't know what to say. I, I want everybody to breathe deeply and, and remember how to have that reciprocity with Madre Tierra to go out and, and not just hike and not just go do yoga and put on the clothes from REI and North Face. Express yourselves in other ways and, and learn how to breathe and communicate with Madre Tierra otra vez. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much. I want to thank you again for coming to the studios this morning. I have been speaking with Monica King this morning. 
It has been a pleasure to have you. And thank you for those blessings and thank you for those words and for not being afraid of saying the truth. You have been listening to Storytellers of Color, a collaborative series inspired by journals of color and Latinx voices groups with an open invitation to other storytellers to come into our airwaves to tell their stories and to occupy the safe space we provide here in your KGNU Community Radio. I have been your host, Rosanna Longobetter. Stay tuned for Counterspin, followed by an eclectic morning of sound alternative. <laughs> <laughs>